0: Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey everybody, this is Gabe with the Virtuous Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Heather Hiscox with us. Heather is the co-founder and co-director of social impact programs at Moves the Needle. Uh, Moves the Needle is an amazing organization that uh, we work with here at Virtuous um, from time to time, who's doing an amazing job pushing innovation um, at nonprofits, foundations, social impact organizations. So Heather, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your background and kind of how the impetus for Moves the Needle um, and, and what Moves the Needle is all about.
1: Awesome. Well, Amelia, my co-founder, Amelia Claywon, um, we both have about, gosh, combined 30 years experience working in the nonprofit sector with social impact organizations, but we're both also social entrepreneurs. So we were really, the framework that we use um, in social impact at the Needle was really born from our frustration of what we saw in the work that we were doing in social impact work, of seeing that we were creating more waste than we were creating change. And Moves the Needle itself was founded over five years ago by Aaron Eden and Brant Cooper, and it was to serve the needs of large enterprise all around the world that, in their growth and their size, they have a hard time relearning hustle and getting scrappy and really um, being entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial. And so the organization um, was started for that purpose. And then Emily and I both came on on the for-profit side working with clients like ExxonMobil, SC Johnson, and then saying, hey, you know, this could work for social impact. This can work for nonprofits with some tweaks to fit the culture and needs. And so about three years ago, Amelia and I started that journey of bringing it to nonprofits. And now we serve higher education, government, philanthropy, social enterprise, and related organizations within social impact to help them really act bolder, move faster and create deeper impacts. Um, how we do that is through uh, a framework that you know we call Lean Innovation. Mm-hmm. And it has, we have processes and um, tools that we use and coaching support that we provide. But essentially, I like to say that we are innovation architects. Mm-hmm. We provide the scaffolding and structure of how to operationalize innovation because it's not enough to say like, go be innovative. There's, there's so much to that and there's so much to the definition and what that means. So that's what I get to do every day and work with organizations all around the country.
0: That's awesome. I love that. You, in, in your intro, and I think it'll be helpful for our listeners. You said the word entrepreneurial, which um, I, I love that word. And most non uh, no, most nonprofits don't always think of themselves as entrepreneurial, but I think the word entrepreneurial really helps set the stage for what innovation can look like in a nonprofit. Tell um Our listeners a little bit about that word and and what it means
1: yeah entrepreneurs are amazing people Um, they're usually hidden gems that exist in every organization that will have word documents with ideas or they're the ones that are asking like why do we do it that way or is that actually working are we actually creating change They're really the troublemakers, which is who Amelia and I were, right? They're the people that are asking the big questions that most organizations don't want to be asked. And they're the people that when you educate, enable, and empower them to use innovative strategies, they come to life. And they really, they love being in what we call search mode. They love the uncertainty. They love starting something new and really discovering what will work. So it's engaging people within an established organization, within the constructs of a large, slow-moving, bureaucratic, potentially, organization to really um, have the entrepreneurial spirit, to have the new ideas. But it's within the constructs. They're not a startup. They're not this little founder out on their own. They're within the structure of an existing, usually, large organization.
0: That's really helpful. That's great. What's the... I know this is a maybe even a rough guesstimate, but um, is there a particular size or age of organization where you start to see, you know, things sort of slowing down and and institutional inertia taking over where you really have to go seek out those entrepreneurs?
1: It can happen at all stages. I see it as early as like a few years to organizations that have been around for 50 it it really just depends um, it what we know from our experience is what kills innovation are really three things it's um, siloing you know areas of within the organization departments that aren't interfacing or talking with one another hmm. hierarchy so it's it's command and control style leadership where leaders board members directors managers are supported in the belief that they have the answers Mm -hmm. Um, so those hierarchical structures are really difficult for innovation to thrive and then the last is time and space when organizations are working in crisis mode um, they're being very reactive versus proactive Um, their staff don't have room on their plate it's hard for innovation entrepreneurship to thrive Mm. and so we really look for organizations that are either feeling enough pain or have <laughs> courageous leadership or have amazing opportunities, which they just need help pursuing really do their best work. So it's, it's not an approach for everyone. There are some folks that it does not drive, but there are those that just fly and Excel and really beyond what they can imagine possible.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I like that. And we've seen a lot of the same things and um, it, it does, it takes a special sort of organization to, to not just recognize it, but embrace it. So
1: Mm -hmm. that's great. Absolutely.
0: Um, I know we think a lot about uh, innovation here, and I know innovation is a big part of what we do. Even you and I have had some conversations about that. Um, And you guys are are sort of passionate about pushing that into the nonprofit space. And I know you guys have sort of organized um, your framework into a couple of key elements, three key elements. I'd love to hear you talk about Um, the elements of innovation and lean innovation as you guys think about them? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, most people have heard of lean in some context, you know, Toyota production system. um, It's getting the right parts in the right place at the right time to really reduce that waste. That's lean in a known environment lean innovation is to be applied in the unknown. It's in areas of uncertainty. It's when you're not in execution mode, but you're in search. So that's when we apply lean innovation. And lean innovation is really a combination of design thinking and lean startup methodologies. So it takes the customer interviewing approach, uh, what we refer to as really empathy through observation and one on one interviews to deeply understand those that you serve. And then we combine that we go a little bit outside of um, just design thinking, where we're not just showing a prototype for feedback, we're actually testing the behavior that the this customer, the key stakeholder, must take for the solution to work. So that's when we apply the Lean Startup methodology, and that's the second E that we follow is experimentation. Of taking what we learn from the empathy work, that's where we develop all those bold, high-impact solutions. Mm-hmm. Then we identify all of the riskiest assumptions, and start to design rapid experiments to test actual behavior of the people we want to serve. And then the third e is making decisions based on evidence. Um, we really feel strongly that anyone within an organization should be empowered to practice innovation. It shouldn't be something just for leadership. And we also believe that evidence should really drive the direction of the organization. Again, not just making decisions based on the highest paid people in the room. It's making decisions based on what we have tested and what we have heard and learned will actually create impact. Um, so that's that's how we view innovation. And, and the definition we, you know, that's one of the main questions we ask every group we talk to. We say, okay, what what is innovation? Because there's such a wide variety of definitions. And we hear new bold, sexy, we <laughs> flavor of the week, flavor of the month, like, uh, you know, eyes roll. <laughs> but for us, innovation is value creation. Hmm. And value creation is about understanding the deepest problems of the people you want to serve and creating solutions that work. It is so simple but so difficult at the same time. And it's so common sense, but rarely practiced. But innovation and value creation is what helps you thrive and keeps you alive and and moving forward. And um, that's what we really bring to the social impact sector is helping organizations see that if they even shift to calling people they serve their customer, understanding they have an ethical obligation to discover, create, and deliver value to those they serve, even if they don't pay a dime, or even if they are a donor or a board member or their colleague in the desk next to them, Mm. if you take on that perspective, it transforms the culture of the entire organization.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, we talk about um, it's, you know, people sometimes wrestle with the word customer. And so we try to attack it by saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, you need to, you need to learn to be a giver before you ask for a gift. And so you got to think first, like put yourself in their shoes and how do you give to them first, give them value. Mm-hmm. Um, before asking your term, which is exactly, it's exactly what you're talking about. And it's such a key approach that it gets missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I think uh, uh, even the term uh, lean, so you're talking about Toyota a little bit, I think they're a great example, but um, how lean has been used and particularly applied to innovation and even some of the stuff that you work, that you're working on now pulls from ideas of human centered design. These are a lot of principles that exist. It's what some of the fastest growing best businesses in the world used to be able to innovate, drive growth and drive efficiency. Um, and they're just being applied to the nonprofit space. I think that's important for our listeners to hear is that this isn't, um, you're not just making this stuff up, right? <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. These
0: are, no. These are, these are proven practices that are best and breed that you're applying to nonprofits. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit, like what are some of the things that that you were reading or, or listening to? I mean, how did you get into this um, kind of space to begin with and how did you learn about lean and how to innovate in this way?
1: Yeah, I, um, my background is pretty diverse. I, um, gosh, where do you even begin? So I, my background is is really in the social sciences. Mm -hmm. and I'm really focused on social justice and disparities. That's what my whole area of my early work was focused on. And then I have a strong love of research. And so about seven years, I did clinical research where I managed research studies, um, looking at cardiology issues. I won't go into detail with that and skin cancer and working with patients. Mm -hmm. And um, I think some of that early work gave me the passion for the rigor of the scientific process and thinking about how it could be applied to social impact work. Um, I think it really laid that foundation. And then as I moved into more traditional nonprofit roles of project management, you know, program development, evaluation, grant writing, I'm a professional fundraiser, getting into all of those nonprofit roles, um, it really connected my passion for more seeing how we were doing things in the status quo, like the traditional ways that we ask for money, that we write grants, that we create programs, and seeing that sometimes the results were not as, like, amazing as we all would have mm-hmm. wanted them to be, sure. it really kept compounding my frustration and interest into what else could be out there. And I wasn't finding it in any traditional other nonprofit work. I wasn't finding it in you know taking board governance classes. I wasn't finding it in going to a- every AFP conference I could find. I wasn't finding it in um, grant writing tutorials. Like I just couldn't find what it was. And so around that time, I went to my first ever startup weekend. Wow. And I went to a startup weekend. And I was like, I don't know what this is. You know, three days of innovation, try to come out with something. <laughs> and you wouldn't even believe it. But by the end of the third day, I um, had an idea, which it still exists. It actually was taken over by the Arizona Daily Star here in Tucson. And it's wow. been going for four years. And um, so I got my first taste of how hard it is to be an entrepreneur and and reading the books I needed to read and and to talk to the people I need to talk to and to do customer interviews myself and to design experiments myself and to really live it and eat that dog food and see what it's all about and then as I grew into other ventures I started supporting other entrepreneurs and other startups and then that transition to okay how do I make this go full circle how do I combine my passion for social justice and social impact with my frustration for status quo mm. with these new skills that I have gained and this new other passion that I now have, how do I mix all of it up and apply it to really disrupt the way that we do this work in social impact? And so that's what, that's what I'm doing now. It's really, I, it's funny now when, when I look back, I can see the, the tie that binds, I can see yep. the thread that connected the journey. Um, and it was all meaningful and it was all really impactful to guide me here today.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so helpful. The, the startup thing doesn't surprise me at all. So much of what you're talking about has been driven by things like tech startups the last, you know, what, 15 yeah. years. But mm-hmm. the, the thing that's telling is actually your background in science. People that are scientists seem to get this much better because it's not, uh, what we're talking about here isn't just sort of a gut reaction to something. It's actually just the, the rigor of the scientific process about setting up an experiment and if you try something new you need you need data to validate it to quickly understand if it's working or not and then cut the stuff that's not and run with the stuff that is and mm-hmm. and so this is sort of like you know science 101 for so for a researcher it's i think it's much easier for you guys to kind of wrap your mind around the principles which is great
1: mm-hmm. yeah and it when you practice this enough you learn the skill of being solution agnostic and you learn the pleasure of learning for learning's sake. And you, you give yourself failure immunity and you really get to just untether from, from all of the constraints and all of the expectations. And you really get to ask those big, bold questions and be part of larger conversations Mm. with other people that are asking the questions. So it's it's transformative in the work that you do, but it's, it's really larger than that Tying to your purpose and, and those connections that you get to make. So yeah, it's an amazing journey. I would encourage anyone to go on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one thing you said in there that I think is just key is that so many of the nonprofits that we see, um, uh, failure is something that's, um, to be avoided at all costs and you know, it's maybe never said out loud, but it's like, Hey, this thing better not fail. And to be innovative, you have to do the opposite. You have to create a culture where, Hey, we're, we're trying stuff. We're running experiments. And, and we almost celebrate failure in a way because the faster you fail, the the more you learn, the more you know how to make adjustments, the more you figure out what doesn't work and what does. And so just that the, the principles you're talking about how it creates that culture shift around embracing failure in order to get better is so powerful
1: it, it, yeah it's so important you have to adopt that mentality and that's why we also work with foundations mm-hmm. And we have those critical conversations with them of saying, you know that these grants, that these proposals you're getting are works of fiction, right? You know that (laughs) they are assumption documentation supreme, right? You know this and they're like, yeah, you're right. And so we're having really interesting conversations around stage gate philanthropy Mm -hmm. and other models of philanthropy with courageous foundations. And then, you know, talking to organizations that are quote unquote, collaborating and saying, okay, when's the last time you shared failure with each other? When's the last time you shared learning with each other? Because it's really only going to be a true collaboration with true progress if you're authentically connecting and sharing and integrating knowledge. And so it's, that's kind of that higher level that I was talking about. It all connects to this higher purpose of creating deeper impacts. And yep. we're only going to do that if we really start to work in whole new ways individually, within our teams, within our, our organizations, and within our social impact community.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, you, you mentioned foundations, and I know you guys are working with foundations, nonprofits, schools, you and some government entities. And, and the principles you're talking about here are, are amazing. I've, I'm all in. I drank the Kool-Aid, but I think mm-hmm. – um, Um, it's nonprofits don't like to change, right? So even not, not even the, the, the big hairy audacious goals that, that, that this represents in the organization, but just getting them to think about innovation in general is, can be hard. And so what do you guys do to kind of challenge organizations to get out of their comfort zone, rethink the way they're doing innovation, set some big goals for their organization?
1: hmm Yeah. I mean, where we start is reframing the opportunity or challenge. Yes. So normally, people bring us in because they are losing impact. They're losing money. They're losing, you know, recruitment or retention of, of clients and their services. Yeah. They are losing relevance. Uh, maybe they were a nonprofit for a hundred years and no one did what they did. And now there are 14 other national organizations that do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, or they just want to vet opportunities in a more streamlined fashion. And so we get pulled in for a variety of challenges. I mean, we've tackled so many different um, different things. Mm-hmm. But what we first tell them to do before they even start work with us is, okay, now that we know the challenge or opportunity, let's think about all the customers. So we start that mindset shift immediately. So let's make a list of all the customers who all of them are. Some of these challenges have eight different stakeholders. Let's identify the customers and stakeholders. Let's say, let's pick one because we have to have focus. Let's pick one that we want to focus on that we think is feeling the most pain or that we want to start with first. We can't solve the problem for everyone at one time. And then let's think about how they would talk about the problem. So from the very beginning, you have to hypothesize what you think your customer would say around this challenge. And sometimes that triggers like, wait, this is an organizational challenge, but is it really a challenge to my customer? Yeah, You know, for donors, right? If you need more money as an organization, you need to increase gift size or increase donors or donor retention, most donors are not walking around town worried about you and these challenges. So helping them reframe it from the perspective of organizational opportunity, to customer service and customer value opportunity mm-hmm. is really the first step. And then we've seen that when people get permission to ask open-ended questions and learn how to write great empathy interviews mm-hmm. and then start making a one-on-one face-to-face connection mm-hmm. with other human beings, you can't not get you know hooked on this. Yeah. When you hear people's stories and you see the impact that you are or not making, We've just seen teams be driven to create value. It's like they can't stop. They can't keep the story from, you know, waking them up at 2 a.m. They can't get the face out of their mind. So it really gets to a deeper connection and it motivates their service.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. And it's one of those things we've seen too where once an organization catches just a little bit of it, it spreads like wildfire. And so people will say, hey, we can't, you know, we're not switching our whole organization to doing like, two-week sprints and i reading The Lean Startup. I'm like, yeah, totally got it. But find find one persona, find one problem, find one stakeholder that you can focus on within one team and see how it works. And I guarantee you, once people get a taste of how good it is, it, it sort of spreads itself, which is great.
1: It does. And the other way to think about it, which is another next step that we take, is around that opportunity, what do you know for sure and what do you still need to learn? Yeah. So it allows you to have the ability to document unknowns and areas of uncertainty and then prioritize those. And that's where you should go first. And we do a lot of work with executive advising and middle management training as well as team coaching because we often have to do some work with those leaders to say, okay, to work in this way requires mentorship, not management. And you're treating everything as execution when 80% of the work you're doing in these new spaces is search. So don't treat the unknown as you can't execute your way to innovation. You have to really use the process to to learn what you need wow. to learn to make those decisions. And so it's helping them reframe how they view opportunities themselves. And then just that paired with that reframe of the challenge customer problem helps them know that they have the flexibility and they have the signal that they can go learn as much as possible.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and and admitting, I think admitting the unknowns and what you don't know going in is so helpful with that too, because then you're not sort of trapped by your initial assumptions. You give yourself permission to learn and that's hugely valuable.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, well, look, this has been uh, incredible. I mean, I could go on all day about this kind of stuff because it's it's right in my sweet spot. I, I just love it. Um, it's been a joy having you. Thank you so much for joining us. We typically end these things with a a quick little lightning round of a just a couple of questions are you okay jumping into that sure all right awesome Absolutely. okay so um what's a one book or podcast that you'd recommend that our listeners check out or that even that you've you've read or listened to in the last year that had a big impact on you
1: well the one the area of, of focus for me right now is habits and so mm-hmm. i'm re- re- rereading the power of habit and really getting focused on that. I've been doing some personal experimentation <laughs> of not being habitual, mm. being a bit more random, and, and the experimental data is not positive. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to get a bit more focused, and so that's really my area of growth right now that I'm exploring is around habit.
0: That's great. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so important. I love that as an idea. Um, one of my favorite books I read, it talks about, sort of your habitual behaviors is these sort of liturgies that are baked into your life that basically, whether you like it or not, they're forming your mind. They're forming everything about you sort of underlying everything Mm -hmm. else you do. And we take so much of it for granted. At least I do. And so Mm -hmm. I love that topic. Yes. Um, Okay. So you, you have a crazy life. I mean, I know you've been traveling all over the country lately, jumping from coast to coast. And so how do you keep from going crazy How do you kind of find uh, work-life balance without going off the rails
1: mm. well I am a mom so I have an eight and eleven year old oh so they God. completely keep me balanced because <laughs> I am not yeah. power mom I'm not you know trying to rule the world to them it's like mom what's for dinner you know. <laughs> okay. Mom, I need something at Target, right? So that definitely keeps me grounded. And then I have an amazing partner. He um, he's also a business owner. He gets this. He understands um, the the craziness and the, the thrill and the and the defeats along with it. And so um, he's fantastic. And I have a wonderful group of friends and family that are literally close to me, like in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. and that I maintain relationships with. That I, I truly have created a village. care for my children and to really support and nurture my family so i'm very very blessed Uh and i I practice i exercise every day i you know practice Mm -hmm. meditation um try to really increase my ability to be Uh self-aware and and nourished uh, spiritually and and physically and uh, that definitely helps
0: that's great i love that yeah i love the kid thing too it's they're (laughs) they're an amazing equalizer like my kids do not think I'm a big deal. Like, yes, I'm, sort of thinking I'm a big deal. My kids do not think I'm a big deal, and so it's it's yeah. so nice just to go in and, you know, have a four year old like demand mm-hmm. that I sit down on the floor and play horses with her, and he yeah. doesn't, doesn't care that I was on a podcast today. You know, it's just it's
1: exactly. about that. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Heather, again, thank you so so much for joining us. Oh, nice. It has been a joy chatting and uh, looking forward to talking more with you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to connect. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous, the CRM and marketing automation software, helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to VirtuousCRM.com.